Now, loved ones, let's turn to God's Word. Isaiah 42, 1 through 9. It's our Old Testament reading today. Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9. One of the four servant songs of Isaiah, which speaks so um, clearly and in such precious terms of Christ our Savior. So, Isaiah 42, 1 through 9, let's read together God's Word. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail, nor be discouraged, till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands shall wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to opened blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. And our New Testament text, our sermon text this morning is Matthew chapter 12, verses 15 through 21. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Yet he warned them not to make him known that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice to victory. And in his name, Gentiles will trust. This ends the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray and ask that he bless it to us now. Father, we pray that you would shine the light of your word into our dark hearts, banish the darkness of unbelief and sin, And Lord, open our hearts to receive the light of the gospel of your glory shining in the face of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. It's in his name we pray. Amen. How do you recognize a king? How do you recognize someone who has real power, real authority at their disposal? In, uh, in family worship this past week, we were reading to our boys the story 
of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. You know the one he has with the giant statue where the head is gold, the shoulders are silver, the belly is bronze, the legs are iron, feet mixed iron and clay, representing the kingdoms of the earth. And in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, this great stone uh, rolls down and crashes into this statue, pulverizes it, obliterates it, right? And then this stone grows and becomes this mountain that fills the whole earth. It's an awesome picture of power pointing forward to Christ, of course, the king, right? The awesome power, awesome authority that he would have. It shows us the mighty strength of God which shatters to pieces the vaunted pride and strength of all the greatest human kingdoms. And, and, and as the Old Testament people of God are reading the Scriptures, they read this and the That's what our Christ is going to be. That's what the Messiah is going to be. He's going to come and we're going to see that power and that authority on display, right? We see this in other places in Scripture. The King who comes, the Christ who comes, is going to be filled with this just immense authority and power. Psalm 2 says that he will, he's going to rule with a rod of iron and he's going to dash to pieces the kingdoms of earth like pottery, right? Just like you throw a glass on the floor and it shatters. That's the kind of strength he'll have over the kingdoms of earth. It's a king, right, who has this awesome, awesome power. That's often what we picture when we think of a king. Someone who's mighty, strong, powerful, like that. Someone who makes you jump up and cheer and feel that surge of pride as you say, yes, that's, that's my king. And in a lot of ways, this um, expectation for the Messiah, which of course is in the Bible, and is of course true, had, had for the Jews obscured what else the Messiah would be. And they had latched on to some particular things about this idea of what the Christ would be. And, and when he actually came, what they found was something far greater than they were ready for. When Christ came, he had an authority which was even more than they could have imagined. Right? It was a different kind of authority. Thank you, Julia. It was a different kind of authority than they expected. Um, it was an authority that reached down into their very hearts. It was an authority that exposed their pride. It was an authority that demanded holiness from the heart. It was an authority that, uh, that, that, uh, that, that, that reached down into their very core. Right? All, all the authority they could have expected, this was so much greater, and it blew them away. But they weren't only overwhelmed by the authority of Christ, which was even greater than they anticipated and different than they anticipated. They were also overwhelmed by the humility of Christ. This king, same king prophesied in Daniel's, uh, Daniel, Daniel in the vision of Nebuchadnezzar, the same king prophesied in Psalm 2. This king comes and he has supper with sinners and he touches lepers and he says, I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you come to me, you'll find rest for your souls. And, and, and so you see in these ways, Christ is, 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 is so much bigger than the expectations that the people had for him and different, and more challenging, more unexpected. Not the Christ who came to back their kingdom, support their agenda, and their opinions, and their ideas, but the king who came and challenged them to join his kingdom, to repent of their sins, and come and surrender their agenda to him. Now, so often, we want a Christ who is on our side. A Christ who is... championing our cause, uh, our, 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 our ideas, our opinions, a Christ who is against our enemies. Um, but that's not the Christ 
that we see in the pages of Scripture. The Christ we meet in the Gospels comes with authority, but it's authority for His agenda, not for ours. He comes to build His kingdom, not ours. Matthew chapter 12, verses 15 to 21, our text this morning opens for us a window into the very heart of Jesus' mission. The heart of this text, which is also the heart of, of the whole gospel, comes down to these questions. Well, who is this Jesus? And what kind of kingdom is he bringing? Who is Jesus and what kind of kingdom is he bringing? Now, remember the context as we, get, as we, as we, as we begin here this morning. Jesus has just said that he is Lord of the Sabbath. And he's going to bring in perfect rest to his kingdom. He's, he said that he is the one who gives rest. And then he says on the day of rest that he has authority to heal a man. Perfect way to spend the Lord's day for him, healing. Um, and of course, he's rejected for this. The Pharisees hate him. They plot to kill him because he healed on the Sabbath. They plot to kill on the Sabbath um, because he's not the king they wanted. His authority is too much. His humility is too much. But the crowds love Jesus. Crowds are following him eagerly, right? That we see this as, as the text picks up. Jesus, uh, verse 15 says, Jesus is followed by the crowds and, and, uh, and, um, uh, and, and he heals all of them. Right? He's, withdrawn, uh, he's withdrawn from the scene there where the Pharisees were plotting to destroy him. Um, uh, it's not time for that yet. But the crowds follow him and he heals them all, the text says. It's a wonderful picture, verse 15 gives us, of the kind of rest, the kind of peace that the Christ is going to give the, 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 as he heals so many here. But Jesus tells them not to speak openly of his, of his miracles yet. Don't, uh, he's trying to restrain the messianic fervor so that the misunderstandings and the wrong expectations don't spread. Um, he's trying to show people the kind of king he really is. That he's come to set up the heavenly, not the earthly, kingdom. And then we get this quote here. Matthew steps in and he gives us this quote from Isaiah 42. A wonderful window into uh, the heart of Christ's ministry, the heart of his kingdom. Um, This is what it tells us, that Jesus is the Lord's servant. That he's come to establish the kingdom of heaven with gentleness and justice for the whole world. This is at the heart of this, uh, this, this uh, passage here in Matthew. Jesus is the Lord's servant who's come to establish his kingdom of heaven with gentleness and justice for the whole world. All right, so first, the first thing we see this morning, Jesus is the Lord's servant. He's the Lord's servant. Verse 18 says, Behold, my servant whom I've chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. What does it mean that Jesus is the Lord's servant? Well, very simply, straightforward, he came to serve, didn't he? Staggering thought, isn't it? Jesus came to serve the Son of God, equal with God for all eternity, took on human form to serve. He came not to be domineering. He came not to manipulate things and and exploit his authority for his own ends and get power for himself and rise to the top and put down others to do it. He came to serve. He came to get lower and lower and humble himself more and more, serving his father and serving his sinful people. He came, right? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. We see this picture painted so well for us in John 13 
as Jesus is sitting there at the table with his disciples. And he gets up from the table and he, he, he takes off his outer garments. He wraps himself in a servant's towel and he gets down on his hands and knees and he washes the dirty feet of his disciples. That's the kind of Christ he is. That's the kind of king that he is. Not, not high and aloof and, and uh, unapproachable, but humble and lowly and meek. He didn't come to, to, to do his own thing. He came to serve his Father and submit himself to the Father for our sakes. That's the first thing we see here as we see the Lord uh, Jesus is, is the servant. The second thing uh, to understand about what it means that he's the servant of the Lord here is that he came to enter into deep solidarity with his people. Matthew quotes Isaiah 42. Um, Isaiah 42 is one of the servant songs, one of the four servant songs of Isaiah, four prophecies in Isaiah about this figure who's called the servant of the Lord. And the Lord promises it there in Isaiah in these servant songs to raise up this servant of the Lord to restore his people, bring them back from exile. And sometimes as you're reading through those servant songs, it seems like you're reading about one person. Sometimes as you read through them, it seems like you're talking about the whole nation of Israel. Sometimes it seems one. Sometimes it seems like it's the other. Sometimes it it could be both. For example, Isaiah 42, 19 to 22, later on in that chapter we were reading earlier, is clearly talking about the whole nation of Israel when it says, who is blind but my servant? Or deaf as my messenger, whom I send, who is blind as my dedicated one, or blind as the servant of the Lord. It's clearly talking about the nation of Israel, not our Lord Jesus. We see uh, Israel called the Lord's servant in Isaiah 41, verse 8 as well. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. So the servant of the Lord refers to the people of God. But as the songs go on, as the servant songs go on, it becomes clear the servant of the Lord is not just Israel as a whole, but actually a particular person who, who epitomizes and embodies all that Israel should be and all that Israel is called to do and, and, and all that Israel is as the people of God. And, and this shows us in particular as we read the servant songs going on in, in some of them, Isaiah 53 especially, Jesus, the servant of the Lord, identifies with his people in their sufferings. He comes to suffer with them. He comes to be made like his people, to have solidarity with his people. He comes and he experiences what it means to be under the curse. He puts on the weight of our suffering. Right? As he goes about in his healing ministry and he's touching people to heal them, he's taking on their suffering on himself, entering into it. He is the servant who is called the man of sorrows. Think about everything the people of God throughout the ages. You Think of just Scripture. Think of church history. What have they gone through? What have they suffered? How much? What have you gone through and suffered? Jesus has shouldered it, and he knows it, and he understands it, and he sympathizes with us in it. He has come and he is is aware and sensitive towards and sympathetic with every single grief that you feel. He knows it personally. That's part of what it means that he's the servant of the Lord. A third thing it means, Jesus came to be the embodiment of what his people should have been. He doesn't just have sympathy with us, but he saves us. Um, this is the precious truth. Right? He's not just a um, 
He's not just there to understand what we're going through and come alongside us, but he's actually the one who saves us from our suffering as well. He comes uh, as our substitute for our sins. He comes, his suffering pays the price for our sins. He, his righteousness covers the lack of our unrighteousness. Um, he, we read here in the text that he is the one in whom God is well pleased. God loves him. God, is, uh, God calls him his beloved. He's the apple of his eye, the center of God's affections. And when we are in him, represented by him, then God uh, delights in us just as he delights in him. And he's well pleased with you just as he's well pleased with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who Jesus is as the servant of the Lord. He's raised up. He's raised up. His task is to, is to bring about the kingdom of God. Um, he, he represents Israel. He embodies what Israel is supposed to be. And he advances the kingdom of God. He's the servant who's also the king. So if you see verse 18 or verse 20, there it talks about this, uh, this language of bringing justice, accomplishing justice, um, accomplishing victory. That's the, that's the language of kingship and leadership. This is the one whom God is going to make his king. And this is what he's come to do. And God has clothed him with the Spirit, given him power by the Spirit to do this. So that's who Jesus is. That's who he is as the servant of the Lord, as our servant. And then the text goes on and highlights two things for us about who, uh, about, about this servant and his kingdom. And the first thing we see is that the servant's kingdom will be marked by gentleness. Listen to Christ's words, verse 19 to 20. He says, um, the words about Christ, excuse me, in verses 19 to 20. He will not quarrel, nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoking flax he will not quench. Jesus is not quick-tempered. He doesn't blow up at people. He doesn't lose his temper with people. Uh, he, he's not easily offended. He's not quarrelsome. He's not, uh, he's not yelling and shouting and causing trouble. He's none of these things. And even when it seems like he would have every right to be, people are plotting to kill him. People are slandering him, falsely accusing him, saying he's possessed with demons. Patiently, he bears it. He doesn't get exasperated. He has every reason to start getting upset, lashing out, fighting back, but he's gentle. He's patient. He's long-suffering. He's quiet in spirit. He's not just long-suffering with his enemies, is he? He's also long-suffering with his people, with you, with me. It's that invitation we already read in chapter 11, 28 to 30. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. We get this beautiful picture here in our text this morning of what that looks like. These, these two metaphors that we get, the bruised reed and the, and the, and the faintly burning wick. Right, picture those things, a bruised reed, a stalk of grass, a thin stalk of grass that's been crushed and it's about to be snapped off. It looks like there's almost nothing holding it up, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be crushed and broken. And, and, uh, and, uh, uh, but, but Jesus is gentle with it. He doesn't snap it off. He doesn't give up, exasperate it, and break it off. He gently restores it. And, and Jesus is not uh, one who snuffs out the, the candle wick that's just a barely there burning little orange glow. He doesn't blow it out, snuff it out. 
He gently brings the flame back to life. He's gentle with his people like that. He's gentle when you feel bruised and broken like that. When you, when you feel like, uh, like, like suffering is crushing your heart, the brink of despair, it seems like God's hard providences keep coming and they won't relent and, and uh, it's hardship on top of hardship. You get through one struggle and sure enough, there's another struggle piling on, discouraged, worn down, burned out and anxious. But Jesus comes and he's gentle. And he goes on being gentle and patient with his people. He's gentle when you're weak in faith. When you're wrestling with a doubting mind. Cold heart towards him. Little love towards him. Is he gentle with you then? Yes. Yes, he is. When, when, when your hope in God and his promises is just faded out to the barest glimmer of faith. He doesn't come and say, well, enough. Sinner. Failed again. Snuff you out. He breathes gently on the coal. He nourishes life again. When your sins keep getting the upper hand, he doesn't come and say, we're finished, we're through. He comes and he ministers. He goes on ministering. He keeps on being gentle, patient, long-suffering, the great physician with our hearts, with our souls. Jesus does not break the bruised reed or snuff out the smoldering candle wick. He comes with grace, ongoing grace. And he gives Sabbath rest. He gives healing and wholeness and gentleness. There's no one like this. There, there is no one who would treat us like Jesus treats us. And we keep coming with the same old sin, the same doubts. We're far away. We're, uh, we're struggling with so many things. But he keeps on showing gentleness, showing kindness, showing patience with us. And saying, come to me. He continues to say that over and over to us. Not just at the start of the Christian life, but all the way through. Calling us to himself. Showing us that grace. So brothers and sisters, don't take your brokenness and suffering to anyone else but to Christ. Your burnout, take it to Christ. Your struggle, take it to him. He'll be gentle. Don't, don't content yourself with a little bit of him. With, with, with a distant relationship with him. There is grace to be found in him. He will not fail. And this, this brings us to the second mark of what we see in this servant, our Lord Jesus, the servant of the Lord and his kingdom. His, 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 uh, his nature is full of gentleness. His, his kingdom is full of this gentleness. But it's also full of justice with an unfailing pursuit of justice. We see this um, in, uh, in verse uh, 18, and then again in verse 20, the description of the servant as gentle is bookended on both sides with this description of his justice. What is this justice that um, we, we're talking about here in the text? Justice is one of those words. that It's, it's a buzzword, right? People, have, um, people are very interested in our current culture right now in justice and uh, getting justice for the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed. and um, that, That's a good thing. It's good to pursue justice for those who need justice and, and, and fairness for those who need it and uh, for, 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 for these things, for the poor, the vulnerable. But we need to step back from the world's terms about it and the, the way the world defines it and say, well, what does God have to say about what justice is? Whose justice are we seeking? Is it justice according to my standards or justice according to his standards? 
Um, he's the judge, not me. Um, so this justice, whatever it is we're pursuing, is according to him, not according, not according to ourselves. Uh, so uh, we, should, we should be careful with that. But what is this justice that Jesus is advancing? What kind of justice does Jesus bring? We can think about it in two dimensions. One is the vertical, up and down, our relationship with God. Jesus is bringing God's just, righteous rule over the hearts of men. Jesus is, Jesus is saying God is the king, he has sovereignty, and this is his law, and he's going to establish that law in the hearts of men. This is basically the Lord's prayer, the petition, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's going to make sure God's law is done, that people are, 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 are righteous. Um, he's establishing obedience to God. Now, Jesus is promising, the promise about, about Christ here is that he will accomplish this justice. That's a wonderful thought. That, that, that he is not going to stop until, 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 until his people are free from sin completely, holy before him, and that he has established a kingdom that is perfectly free from sin forever. Righteous in the sight of God because of Christ himself. So there's that aspect of justice. There's also justice between, between one another. Uh, justice between people. And, and, and uh, uh, justice um, from the wrongs that we suffer in this sinful and broken world. Jesus is also the one who brings that kind of justice. The, the justice of, of putting an end to her crimes and offenses and sins that, that, that people commit against each other. Think, think of all that's wrong with the world on a horizontal level, all the way that people sin against other people, hurt other people. This is part of, his, of Christ's mission, to end it in his kingdom, to, end, uh, to end, end the corruption, human trafficking, abortion, racism, all of it. He's going to end it on his time, in his way, in his kingdom. He'll bring an end when the new creation comes in. He's going to end wars. Conflict of every kind. He is. That's a wonderful hope. That should fill us with hope in, in Christ, our King, what He's going to do. He's, he's going to end um, the, the, the suffering of, of, of sickness and disease and pandemics and hunger and poverty. He will. He'll end cancer. He'll end Alzheimer's. He'll end the suffering of His church. It'll be over. That's the justice that he's going to bring. He is going to make all things new and all things right and wipe away every tear from our eyes. And the text says he will bring this to victory. He will not stop. He will not faint or grow discouraged till he has done this. It's not going to be through political means. It's not going to do it through some social revolution here and now uh, on this earth. It's not going to be through anything that we can devise ourselves. Those, we should pursue relief for these things and justice here and now, but Jesus is going to do something so much better, so much broader and bigger and deeper and forever, the justice that he's going to bring. Something that will last for. Ever. The text tells us here that this justice is not just going to be for the Jews, but for the Gentiles. It's going to be for the whole world that Jesus is going to do this. He's going to be the King, the servant of the Lord, who brings this glorious justice to the whole world as every tribe and tongue and nation bows to King Jesus on the day of judgment. 
It's a glorious promise. Do you believe it? Seem too good to be true? Can he really do this? How can we be sure? He died for it. He came and he laid down his life for this. He was so committed to this that he bled for it, hung on the cross for it. He allowed himself, he humbled himself to suffer the wrath of God so that he could accomplish this. Is he going to fail then? He, he, he gave his life for this. He's not going to turn around and say, it's too much. I'm discouraged. I'm worn out from pursuing this. He gave everything for this. And, and while we're talking about his sacrifice, we should note that this, it's because that he gave his life for this. That's the only reason this is good news for us. Right? His justice is, is, is glorious news if we've been forgiven, right? This justice we're talking about is for those who've been cleansed, made right with God, that Jesus died to secure that for us. Right? If Jesus didn't die for our sins, his justice would be our condemnation, not our salvation. But God's wrath falls on him so that it won't fall on us, and he brings us into his glorious kingdom and pours out the blessings of his just rule on us. So he died for this, loved ones. He's not going to fail. He's not going to grow discouraged. He also rose from the dead, didn't he? Right, that, and that's, that's, the, that's, the, 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 that, that's the great dawn of this kingdom that he's bringing for us as he rises from the dead, enters into his reign on heaven at the Father's right hand, ruling over all things. This is to strengthen our faith that he has won the victory already. He has won the decisive victory. And um, he's not going to give up until he has completed the cleanup operation. Your broken family life or this broken world or, or your messed up heart, he's not going to throw up his hands and say he's all done and walk away. He will not faint or grow discouraged until he has brought forth justice. Until he has brought us, his people, to eternal Sabbath rest in that new creation when all hurt is healed and everything is finally made right. That's how we recognize our King. That's the kind of authority He has. That's the kind of gentleness He has. He is the rest giver, the humble, gentle, authoritative rest giver who brings forth justice for the whole world. There's no one like Him. No hope like Him for you or for this world. No, no, no king like Him. So don't, don't trust anyone else for these things. Don't go after any other king. Uh, uh, keep, keep your heart fixed on Him. Keep your hope in Him. In His gentleness, in His justice, as the servant of the Lord for you. Keep following Him. Keep bringing your, your brokenness and your sin and your weakness to Him. He won't stop until He has brought you safe into His perfect rest. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we rejoice that you are such a wonderful king, a tender king, a gentle king, and that you will not fail to accomplish what you set out to do. We rejoice that, you have, that you've done so much and shown us so much, and that you hold out to us this wonderful promise of the justice you will accomplish. 
Lord, we pray that you would hold us fast by your sovereign grace. Strengthen our faith in these great and precious promises. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Number 169, My Heart Does Overflow. My heart does overflow, a goodly theme is mine. My eager tongue with joyful song does praise the King divine. Supremely fair you are, your lips with grace overflow, His richest blessings evermore does God on you bestow. Now gird you with your sword, O strong and mighty one. In splendid majesty arrayed, more glorious than the sun. Triumphantly ride forth, for meekness, truth, and right, your arm shall gain the victory in wondrous deeds of might. Your strength shall overcome all those that hate the King, and under your dominion strong the nations you shall bring. Your royal throne, O God, forevermore shall stand. Eternal truth and justice will the scepter in your hand. Since you were sinless found, the Lord by you confessed, anointed you with perfect joy, you are supremely blessed, your garments breathe of mirth, and spices sweet and rare, glad strains of heavenly music ring throughout your palace fair. Amid your glorious train, king's daughters waiting stand, and fairest gems bedeck your bride, the queen at your right hand. O royal bride, give heed, and to my words attend, for 
looking for sake world and every former friend. Amen. Please be seated. The deacons come up, take up the morning offering. Let's pray. Gracious Lord God, we thank you for all that you've given and all that you've done for us. We pray that you would continue to work your work of transformation in our hearts, uh, changing us uh, from being uh, grasping to being grateful, uh, transforming us by your grace to be full of gratitude for you and your, your rich blessings you've given us. We pray that we would give to you now out of hearts, uh, thankful for all that you've done for us in Christ. We pray you bless these offerings for his glory and his kingdom. Amen. Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.